You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Here, I really do, and with you especially after going through a hard week, and sometimes we do, we go through hard weeks, but worshiping Jesus with you is a huge blessing. It's a huge encouragement in my life. You know, I'm not sure that you've ever heard this story before, but when I left the last church that I served as an associate pastor, it was over 34 years ago, and I went in for my exit interview with the church business administrator. And somewhere in that conversation, somewhere in that conversation, what had happened is he just, he just made the, the statement. He said, oh, listen, Canby Foursquare Church will be a nice stepping stone for you and Annette. And then he went on to say, it'll be good for your resume before you go on and pastor a big church. And maybe you'll come back and pastor this church. Well, I'll tell you what, I was, I was offended by that. Not at the person, but I was offended by that statement. And I couldn't figure altogether why at that moment I, I felt that way. But I've had time, obviously, over the years to kind of reflect on that kind of statement. His comment really rattled me. And I have thought about it, and I realize there are a few reasons why I felt the way that I felt. One, um, I was offended because people should never, ever be considered stepping stones and used to advance any person's career because that's just not Jesus' stuff. That's not how Jesus, that's not how he rolls. That's not what he does. That's not how he sees people. But I think the second thing and probably the biggest reason for, for my offense was because Annette and I had already made, let me go to a, a handheld. Can I do that? Are we on? Good. I have a feeling that's going to go all day long there, so I'm going to go with this one. But I had this, uh, this sense that um, we had made, already made a decision, and the decision was to love this church, this community, before we ever met this church or community. See, that, that, that interview, that exit interview was happening before we actually had come to Canby Foursquare Church, but we knew that we were already in love with this place. We knew we were already in love with this community before we ever met anyone in this church. It's hard to hear the people that you love referred to as stepping stones. <laughs> people are, are not stepping stones. You're not and never will be a stepping stone to someone else. You never will be. Your contribution and the way that we contribute and contribute to community is huge. In fact, Annette and I have found out the opposite. This church has been a rock. It's been a foundation that we've walked on, lived on, been part of for 34 years, and it has been a huge blessing, a huge encouragement. In fact, the things that you've accomplished over the last several years used to be easy to cite because there were just a few, but I can't tell you what has happened over the last 30 years. I can't count everything that's gone on. Because of your faithfulness, you've touched so many lives and so many people. God has used you in abundant ways. And I think the model is found in Scripture when Jesus said, go to Jerusalem. You've done that. You've been a blessing to your community right here in this place, especially over the last few years when the world, uh, the, you know, this country, uh, our community, people were going through a hard time, still are going through a hard time. But what you've done to help encourage others has been remarkable. Because I know this, I've had people come to me and say, thanks to the church, uh, we were lifted up. We were encouraged. We were encouraged in so many different ways. I know one of the primary things that you do 
is that you extend hospitality and generosity to those who need it most. And I'm thankful for that. And I see that. Jesus said, not only go to Jerusalem, but go to Judea and Samaria. Those are the regions that are around us. We've been able to plant churches over the years. We've been able to train dozens of church planters over the years. It's been remarkable the numbers of people that have been influenced by you and are now in ministry today. And they're working and they're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with their own community. And then Jesus said, go into the uttermost parts of the world. Well, you just had an example of what that looks like here this morning, that we're sending a family, a team into Korea. And I know that not everyone can go, but for those that do stay, what a foundation you provided of sending, of being a, a church that blesses others, that goes and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we've been able to go to different places, and those places have changed because of the gospel and what the gospel has done and how it's affected people's lives. We've gone into, just to mention a few, Albania, uh, Africa, Arlene Tatum is there now, uh, Korea, as you've seen, and, and other parts of the world where the gospel of Jesus Christ is in such desperate need of hearing people, desperate need of hearing the gospel. And so we're able to do these things that God has called us to do. So one thing I know for sure when I think about this church and the constant that is here in this place, and that's believing and sharing Jesus Christ, uh, that that's the primary focus that we all share. It's believing and sharing Jesus Christ with those that don't know him, living a gospel life in what Peter called a foreign land. And that's going to be the message this morning. What is it like and how do I live a gospel life in a foreign land. If you open your Bibles with me today, we're going to continue our series, The Gospel Story. Uh, we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 29. A lot of you know exactly where that is because one of your favorite passages is there, uh, Jeremiah 29.10. And we're going to go over that, but we're going to go over that in context of everything that God wanted to accomplish in and through the children of Israel. Uh, this is, in a lot of ways, a, a sad story. It's a, a story about uh, Israel going through one of its down cycles where they had slipped into a, apostasy, where they had uh, walked away from God. And so what God does is he, he sends them into exile. Uh, and it's the Babylonian exile under King Nebuchadnezzar. And God said, you're going to be there in, in exile for 70 years. Now, one thing you may not know is that exile took place in three phases. Sometimes when we hear about captivity and we hear about the plunder and the assaults on the nation of Israel, we think about it, well, it just happening once. And there are many occasions where that happens. But in this case, that's not what happens. What happens is there is a period of about 20 years where Nebuchadnezzar went into Jerusalem, robbed, plundered, assaulted the people, took the best of the best, meaning the best minds, uh, the best artisans, the, 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 the brightest, the most intelligent. He took them along with a lot of other people, thousands of, of other people, and brought them into captivity in, in Babylon. What does that do? It leaves Jerusalem weak. It leaves them vulnerable. He intended to keep, Nebuchadnezzar intended to keep Jerusalem vulnerable for years and years and years. So you have that first exile takes place in 603 B.C. That's the place and the time where you hear about Daniel 
and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went into exile at that moment. The next time it happens is in 597 B.C. This is when Jeremiah's letter is written. And Jeremiah writes this letter from Jerusalem to those that are in exile in Babylon. And you're going to hear that message. And then there's that third attack on Jerusalem. This is the one, the straw that broke the camel's back in 586 B.C. It's the place that Jerusalem is utterly leveled. It's plundered. It's destroyed. It's, it's scorched earth is what happens. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar goes in and he just wipes out all of Jerusalem. Nothing left. And then what we know later is the stories picked up with Nehemiah coming from Babylon, from that area. And what he's going to do is he's going to rebuild the city. So we're here in this place where they are, the children of Israel, are hurting. These people are broken. There's some still in Jerusalem, but most in captivity in Babylon. And during their 70 years of captivity, again, the prophet Jeremiah, God does this. He always raises up. He raises up a prophetic voice. And so he writes to the exiles, and he does this to encourage them, but also to let them know this is how you live. When you are in exile, when you are in captivity, here are the guidelines that you must live by. And I think when you hear these guidelines, you might even be surprised because I know for me, they're not something that I expected. It's not something that I would expect to hear from God when I was in captivity of, a, of another nation. But here's the way that, that Jeremiah speaks for God. He says, now here are four guidelines. Here are four things that I want you to pay attention to. And by the way, when you go through these four guidelines, I think you're going to find that many of them are parallel to where we are today and how we're to live today. The guidelines that God gives us while we're living in a foreign land. So first is this. First, God tells his people to be responsible in their community. He says, be responsible in your community. And this is how he says it, beginning at verse 1. He says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers, and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. So that's the Daniel era right there, the first move of exile. He entrusted the letter to Elisha, son of Shaphan, and to Jemariah, son of Ilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those that I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat the produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters increase in number there. Do not decrease. This isn't something I would expect to hear. Now, what God is saying is he's saying when you go into this place, when you're in exile, when you're in captivity, I want you to prosper. I want you to prosper. You know what? One of the signs of gospel living people is they prosper no matter what the situation might be. 
that when they know who provides for them, when they know who blesses them, who the source of blessing is in their life, they can go anywhere on the planet under any circumstance and they can prosper. And God says, go to this place, be a light that shines, do all these things and bless the community that you're in. Now, look at at uh, verse five. It says and it's repeated a few different times in this passage. It says, build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, eat their fruit, have sons, daughters, tell your kids to do the same thing. Don't go there and die. Don't go there and shrivel up. Don't go there and recluse. He's saying, I want you not to decrease. I want you to increase. I want you to prosper while you're there. Again, the hallmark of the gospel of Jesus Christ always brings light. If you remember last week, we talked about the the characteristics of the gospel. And how do we know we're hearing a gospel message? Well, this is one way we know we're seeing gospel lives lived is life is always interjected into community, into family, into places where it may be dark. It may be a place of, of, of difficulty. The gospel living people always bring light. And we need to know that's exactly what's happening here. Jeremiah is telling them, you guys are in captivity and you guys are going to be there a while. 70 years, so you got to get used to this. You got to make the best of this. In other words, get involved. Be good citizens in this new culture where you find yourself. Now, to me, again, there are a lot of parallels to our situation in our country because what happened with them is they were surrounded by a hostile environment, by hostile people who didn't even believe in the same values they had, who didn't believe in the God of Israel. This is the people that they are living with. These are the people that they, they're neighbors with. Uh, we too, I know, and the Bible tells us this, we're surrounded uh, by a world, the Bible calls a, a world system, that does not agree with our beliefs, our values. And not only not agree, there are times that it gets very hostile, and toward Christians especially, there's a hostility that comes when you bring up the values of God's word, when you talk about your faith, when you share your faith with others. They were dual citizens They were citizens of Jerusalem, Israel, and they were citizens of Babylon. I recognize that we're dual citizens as well. You have a dual citizenship. I don't know if you knew that, but you do. You're a citizen of this natural nation, this country called America, but you're also a citizen of heaven. You are a citizen of God's kingdom. And so for us, we have to figure out how do I live in both places? How, how can I be a good citizen in the nation, the country that I'm part of physically? And how can I be a good citizen uh, of God's kingdom? Well, the thing that God says here and what he means when he says you're a dual citizen is we don't have a responsibility to huddle up. We don't have a responsibility to cloister. We are called to reach out, to be involved. Our faith is not a faith of escapism. Our faith is a faith that goes to the world, that goes to Jerusalem, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the faith that we're called to. In the Gospel of John, John chapter 17, Jesus prays as much. What he says is, he says, Father, please don't take them, my disciples, out of this world, but keep them in the world, keep them, protect them from the evil one. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, hey, you're not going to leave these situations. You're not going to leave 
your mission field. You're going to stay right here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. But God's spirit will keep you from the evil one. That's what he's saying. So he's not talking about us pulling out. Listen, one of the things that I think is so important for us to remember is God is always leaning in. And that should, that should influence our theology. That, that should influence our eschatology, our ecclesiology, all those big names and words. It should influence all of that. See, when people talk to me about the end days, usually my response is, I don't know a whole lot. I know what God's word says. But I do know this, that we're called during the days, the end times, we're called to lean in and not run away. We're not called to run away. That's one reason I requested the song that you heard this morning. These are the days of Elijah. I heard it this week preparing for this message, and I thought that's the message that we have to hear, that we're here to reach out like Jesus prayed for us. Reach out. Don't run away, but reach out. Listen, Jesus wants to keep you where you are now. He wants to preserve you where you are now. He didn't pray Hey, Father, help them find caves to live in. Help them find mountaintops where they can recluse. Father, help them store up ammunition and a lot of food. Father, help them when they listen to wacky prophetic words. He doesn't say that. He says, listen, you need to reach out in community. You you need to be vital. You need to be a lifeline to people that don't know Jesus. See, Jesus was saying, no, no, no. I want them living out their faith in the world. I love that. How is it that God has called you to live out your faith in the world? I think everybody has a gift. They have something to offer. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. The gifting that God has given you is what brings salt and light into community. When Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, in Matthew chapter 5, I really believe he's talking about what you lend to community. How, how do you help others make it through? How do you bring hope to others who are hopeless? We don't recluse, but we find a way to bless community. I know when I first arrived here, I was looking for those opportunities. And the, the, the thing that I knew I could do is I, I could coach a little football and baseball and I had a couple boys and a daughter and I thought you know this is the this is the avenue that I'm going to choose to be in community this is where I'm going to be the salt and the light and that's exactly what happened in fact there are people that are here today in the church because I was their football coach they didn't know I was a pastor first and they actually came there was a few folks that came and asked me what church do you guys go to we said oh we go to we go to Canby Foursquare Church Oh, yeah, we hear it's a good church. We said, yeah, it really is. It's a really good church. Uh, And surprised them, of course, when they showed up and I stepped up to do what I'm doing now, the look on their face. I would always do that. I'd walk up and then just look at them. And I I love to surprise people like that. But what happened was that by serving in community, by serving according to your gifts, people were brought to faith in Jesus Christ. People's lives are better. Because you're choosing to be salt and light. You have some things to give. Go ahead and give them. Look around. Find out ways that you can do that. And there's a second thing here. Jeremiah instructs us not only to be responsible in our community, but also be prayerful for your country. That's what he says in verse 7. He says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Notice what he, that I have carried you into exile. 
pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. Now, isn't that kind of a different economy, isn't it? But it's so true. It's so accurate. He's saying, pray for your country. What is Jeremiah saying here altogether? He's saying that the welfare of the captivity or the welfare of the captive Israelites was bound up in the welfare of the Babylonians. That, that it, was a, it was a package deal. Jeremiah says, don't revolt. Don't start insurrection. Don't start a revolution. What you need to do is you need to start praying. Start praying. Pray for the peace of your city. Pray for the well-being of your town. That's the responsibility that we have. You know, I, I think that it was uh, very clear to me during the pandemic, one of the things that we were asked to do as a church is we were asked to host a every Wednesday late afternoon state of can be address where all the uh, civic leaders, the community leaders came right here to this place. And we we gave a, a, a little update on what was happening, what was happening in our schools, what was happening in the community. All of those things were happening. They asked us, they asked me to represent you and pray over the community and pray that God would bring blessing to us and would help us and give us wisdom to move through this. We were asked to be that mouthpiece in the community at that particular time. So we were able to fulfill this, this uh, request that God makes of the children of Israel while they were in Babylon. He says, when times are hard, step up and make sure you pray. Take time to pray. Take time to fast for your nation, our state, our city, all of its leaders, that we take time and that we're serious about that. I think most of us, I think most of us believe that our country has struggled, that it's in trouble at times, and it's not because one or the other parties are in office. Uh, we're in trouble because we are inherently sinful. You know, we're in trouble because we're prone to wander. Isaiah says as much in Isaiah chapter 53, he says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own ways. You see, when we go astray, it's the sin of our own lives. That, that God says, listen, I, I'm going to call you to be accountable for that, for your heart. I'm going to call you to be accountable for what you think, what you do, and how you do it. Listen, anyone who knows me knows me well. They know that I'm not political by nature. I, I believe in being involved in local politics. I believe in being involved in wherever God leads you to be involved. But I really don't think that the ultimate hope is any party or any person or any platform. My ultimate hope rests in the day that Jesus said we should pray this way. Pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what I'm hoping for is the day mentioned in Revelations chapter 11 when the announcement is made that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and our Christ. And I know one day Jesus will return and he'll remove all the politicians and he'll say, now watch and see how this is done right. That's what he's going to do. That's what we know, and we can count on that. We can say that's the way this is all going to go with great assurance. I can say to you, Jesus is coming again, and Jesus is going to replace the human government for his divine government. Listen, a gospel life is a life that is responsible in community. It's, it's, a, it's a life of, pray for, of prayer and praying for our country, 
And prayer is, listen, prayer is a declaration, not a prayer of independence. In fact, our prayers should be prayers of dependence on Jesus Christ. That when I pray, I'm praying that I need Jesus, that I, that I need him in my life every single day. You know, people have asked me, what do you pray for? How do you pray? Well, I, I can say that it hasn't been much different over the years that I pray that God would bring revival. I pray that God would refresh the hearts of his people. I pray for the miraculous. I pray for God's intervention at every turn and every corner that we face. That's what I tell people. And I also pray this way. God would, by your grace, by your mercy, would you give us another chance? Would you give us a second chance? I've asked God for revival in this country, another chance. And the reason I've done that lately is because I'm not sure that we got passing grades in the last few years. And so I'm saying, Lord, would you please, please, with your grace and mercy, would you help us? Now, people will say, well, how do you know we haven't done that well? I can tell you the number one reason we haven't done that well, because we turned on each other so quickly. Christian and non-Christian. It was, it, was, it was radical how that happened. That is what, what the Bible says is the number one reason that we're not doing well. We're not that healthy. So when I see this happen, I am saying, Lord, please give us another chance. Would you intervene with your grace and your mercy? That's the truth. We need God's light to shine. I, I don't know all the reasons why we turned on everyone and others so quickly. But at the end of the day, the reality is we did and we need God to forgive us and we need God to restore us. I also know that when the body of Christ turns on each other, that turning causes scattering in the community at large. And when I mean scattering, I mean emotional, physical, mental scattering. Where's my moorings? Where do I go? Who do I trust? Who can I talk to? Listen, I'm confident of this. And I say all this with this confidence. I'm confident in our Redeemer. He can turn mourning into dancing. He can take our sackcloth, our death cloth, and he can dress us up with joy. I know he can. You know, I said earlier that the welfare of captive Israel was bound in the welfare of Babylon. I would also say this. I also know the welfare of the body of Christ is bound up in the welfare of this nation. I do know that. I think our land and God's people need some healing. That we need to heal. And I know that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm praying for in my own life. Lord, help me. Help me. I need your grace to lead. So there's a third thing now. The third thing is this. In living a gospel life in a foreign land, I'm responsible in community. I'm prayerful for my country. And the third thing is be careful who you consider. Be careful who you listen to. That's exactly what Jeremiah says in verses 8 and 9. He says, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. What's this telling us? This is saying that we need to strongly consider who we're listening to. What voices are we following? 
Be careful who you consider. Be careful who you listen to. What is happening here? What's going on? What's Jeremiah up to here? Well, there were men in their midst in Babylon that were writing letters as well. And they were declaring that they were the prophets. They were declaring that they, the children of Israel, would be out of exile, oh, maybe in the next few days, maybe the next few weeks. They, they were putting a spin on the 70 years. What they were saying is, you don't have any sin to, to judge. There's no sin that God wants to judge in you. In fact, we're going to have this over just like that. This is going to be over. Jeremiah is writing, and he's saying, that's not true. That's not what God has said. You know, these people that were writing their own letters that were contrary to the word of God, I, I think they were saying that the, the peace, again, peace was right around the corner. I think you could say that these were the positive confession folks. You know, the name and claim it of their time. Just say it and it'll be. We want to hear this, so tell us this. When God said 70 years, he meant 70 years, not 70 days, not 70 months, not 70 weeks. God said 70 years, so be it, 70 years. And to say otherwise was a lie. You weren't telling the truth. And so Jeremiah is stepping up to these prophetic voices, and he's saying what you're saying is not true. And you know it's not true. You're just bending down and you're bringing people a message because you're getting some income from that. You're you're making a life out of that. These so-called prophets were saying things again were going to be fine, that you didn't have to worry about this. Listen, what God judges is not the hot social and political topics, even the ones we face today because they faced some back then. He judges how we treat others during difficult times. That's what God is going to judge in us. It isn't going to be what side you land on altogether politically. It's going to be how did you live out your life before others and before me? God is more concerned with what you say, how you say it, what you do, and how you live. That's what he's looking at. He's looking at how do we treat others around us. That's always going to be a measuring stick. It's how we treat those around us, our neighbors, our pe the people around us. How do we treat them? Please be involved in your community and, 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 and whatever that looks like, whatever process that looks like. But as you do, don't attack others that think different than you. Be careful who you consider and who you listen to. You know, I'm not here. I'm here. I'm not here to bash others. I'm here to bring a message that that brings good news of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean they're hard. There aren't hard things there because there are hard things here. There were hard things what Jeremiah had to say. And I want to say, Lord, I know there are hard things coming. I think we just heard a few of those hard things. And that is to get our heart together to make sure that we're right in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Believe me, Jesus doesn't need me to put others down in order to lift him up. I think he's got it. I think he's good at what he does. And so what I can do is say, Lord, I know that what ultimately is going to happen is you're going to come and look at me. You're going to look at my heart. You're going to look at what I say and what I do. And then there's the fourth thing, and I want to finish with this. It's the last guideline when it comes to living a gospel life in a foreign land, and that's this. Be hopeful of your calling. You see, at the end of the day, what you need to know, what you rest in, is the salvation of Jesus Christ is yours. 
that when you've called on the name of the Lord and he's brought salvation to you, there's hope in that calling. And that's what wakes me up in the morning. That's what I want to go to bed with at night. It with the assurance that I know that God has called me. Jeremiah 29 verses 10 through 13 tell us this. It says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, which happened through Nehemiah, Ezra, and their cohorts. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. What he's saying, he's saying, I always have you. I've got your back. I've got you. You can rest in my promises. My promises for all of us, for, for God's people is yes and amen. I love that. I love what it says here. I just love it. It says, after 70 years, I will visit you. God is coming to town. God is going to show up here. Now, it's interesting. It says to be responsible, be prayerful, be careful in the world that we're part of. But the world that we're part of, we also need to keep in mind, is temporary. It doesn't last forever. We're here for a lifetime for sure. But that is not for all time. We have our role during the time we're alive. We are passing through. We are in an earthly captivity. But we are not always going to be here. That's what I love. See, when you look at verse 10, look at it with me just for a moment. Uh, different translations use different words. Uh, the word here that I'm looking for is the word cause. It's not in the NIV. I wished it was. But it's in the New King James. It says, I will cause you to come back home. I will cause you to come back to Jerusalem. It says, I will cause you to return to Jerusalem. You know what that means? That means God's in charge, not Nebuchadnezzar, not the governments, not anyone else. God is saying, I'm in charge. I took you into exile, and I'll take you out of exile, and I'll settle you again in the land that I promised you. I will cause that to happen. See, God pushes all the buttons. God spins all the wheels. God's in charge. When I read this, I just got excited about this because I thought, Lord, what you're telling us is this isn't random, that our lives aren't just left up to happen chance, but our lives are in your hands, that, that what's happening now, it seems like uh, it's random. It might seem like it doesn't make any sense, but God is saying, I got this. I'm the one in charge. I will cause my promises to be fulfilled in your life. And those promises, again, are yes and amen. God is on the throne. God is in the house. God is here. And it's God that I want to follow. And so what happens when we read this passage of Scripture is we know that God always gives guidelines when we're living in difficult times, when we're living in a difficult place. What does he tell us to do? He tells us, hey, be responsible. Be good citizens, wherever you are, be good citizens. And pray for the country, the state, the county, the city that you're part of. But he also says, make sure you consider who you're listening to. Be jealous for who you give your ear to. Make sure you do that. And then always have hope in God's call in your life.
because what he said he will do. That's his promise. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I want to thank you today for, again, the blueprint that you put out in front of us. How do I live a gospel life in a foreign land? You, you show us and teach us so well. And I want to thank you that your word endures forever, that the principles that you shared with Jeremiah and to the exiled, those that were in captivity, are the same principles that are alive today. And, Lord, we just are so grateful for that, and we want to thank you for that. And today we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. You're in charge. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.